Welcome to Keep Calm. We would love for you to join us on Fridays from 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. Central Time. For more information, check out our website at www.faithwalking.com where you can scroll down to the Spaces for Wholeness Groups section and click on Keep Calm. You can also email us at info at faithwalking.us. So I'm going to practice with y'all. I want to give you a little bit of an update on what's going on in faith walking as we begin 2022. Some of this, some of you have heard. Uh, if you were at our uh, at our little uh, <clears throat> online banquet in the in the late uh, fall, we talked about some of this. But uh, just some exciting things, folks. Uh, faith walking is is doing really well. And we continue to, to expand and to grow and to start new circles and have new facilitators. And all of that is really, really exciting. We had a goal uh, of raising $32,000 in end of year donations. And, and we brought in $32,500. So we met our fundraising goal, uh, which in, in, Ken Schumann's recollection and yeah, it, it's the first time we've ever completely and fully met a fundraising goal. And I don't know if we kept lowering our goals low enough that they were attainable or what, but we finally uh, reached that goal. And, and, but that's really good news because that means people are loving and supporting faith walking and, uh, uh, and it's going uh, yeah, it's, it's just going really, really well. Uh, another piece of that that's exciting for me is most of the time, most of you, do, uh, so nonprofit work is different than any other work, and, it, and it's also different than a church in that often we will start the year with a budget that we are not completely sure how we're going to make. And for 2022, for the first time in our 14 or 15 year history, uh, we have a budget that we believe is completely attainable and we can see where the dollars are going to come to support that budget. And that feels really, really good. Uh, it, uh, you talk about managing anxiety, managing anxiety around, uh, okay, what if, what if this check doesn't come in or what if that thing doesn't come in, what will we do? So, so that's really, really encouraging news. Uh, and we're in the midst of a three-year strategic plan, and our goal was at the end of 2022, so 2022 is the end, the third year of that three-year plan, and we, we had a goal to have 32 uh, either faith-walking circles uh, or faith-walking facilitators leading faith-walking groups for us. And a circle is like a congregation that takes faith walking on and does faith walking within their congregation or within uh, a, a region of a denomination or things like that. that. That's what a faith walking circle is. And they raise up, we train them, but they raise up their own leaders to, uh, to make that happen. So our goal was to have 32 of those by the end of 2022. We ended 2021 with 26. And, and today, uh, I can count 12 new facilitators and or circles that are going to emerge in 
2022 that I can count today in February. Uh, so that's going to put us at 38, which just blows our goal completely out the, out the door. Uh, and it's highly likely that we'll have three or four more uh, that, will, that will come on board between now and then. And, and that's just really fascinating and exciting. Uh, so, you know, we, we typically, all of our circles and Faith Walking, what we call Faith Walking Central is us here in Houston. Uh, so Faith Walking Houston and all of our circles tend to do offer Faith Walking courses three times a year. We, we do it in, in the winter and we do it in kind of spring, summer, uh, and we do it in the fall. And so right now uh, we have one group that's launching next week and I'm counting them in these numbers. But in, in our first go round of faith walking classes, we have 286 people that are in faith walking, uh, faith walking modules right now, uh, which means by the end of the year, uh, doing that three times, even if we don't grow another person, that's 858 people that will go through faith walking in 2022, which is, uh, which is really fantastic. Uh, I anticipate it's going to even be more than that, but we're, we're closing in on, on a thousand. Uh, and, and I believe our growth is going to be exponential because the more circles we have, the more people are doing faith walking, the more it grows, uh, the more opportunities people have. And so, uh, that's really, really exciting. Uh, we have about 150 people that volunteer in faith walking in some capacity. Uh, they might be a coach, they might be a facilitator as a volunteer, they might be uh, helping us with administrative work or whatever, uh, but, but that's pretty powerful as well. And then these numbers are startling for some people who don't know them. Uh, we have faith walking people in 33 of the 50 states in the U.S. Uh, we have faith walking participants in three Canadian provinces. And we have faith walking participants in 15 foreign countries. Some of those are Spanish language and some of those are English. Uh, hopefully, you know, we, we have a Spanish language, a whole Spanish language track, and we have a whole English language track and, uh, and all of that's going. We're excited about that. Uh, I've already told you the numbers on the, on the podcast. We have between two and 3,000 downloads of the podcast each month, depending on the month. Uh, we're in the midst of totally rebuilding and redoing our website, uh, which is uh, hopefully going to be up and going uh, within the next month or two. And uh, so there's just lots of things going. I, I wish you could be in on some of the conversations with me when I just, when somebody just calls and says, Hey, you know, I live in San Diego, California, and my cousin uh, knows this minister who knows this guy in, you know, Colorado, Greeley, Colorado, and Tammy Van Drunen in Greeley, Colorado's got a great, and, and we want to know about faith walking. Uh, all of those stories are just powerful, and all of the people going through right now in all of the modules, so I'm leading seven modules myself. And in every module, the, the participants are just, they're playing full out and they are really experiencing transformation from module one through module five or six. And uh, so anyway, it, uh, we're excited. 
Uh, I'm excited. These are really big, positive times. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not just uh, blowing smoke. This is really, it, it's really kind of, it feels like a, we crossed over a threshold in the life and ministry of faith walking. And uh, we're excited about it continuing to grow into the worldwide movement that we believe is God's design. So you have any questions about any of that? Anything more you want to know? Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Today, I, I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to go in a little bit different direction. I've been doing uh, kind of Bible study stuff, and I love to do that, but I don't have one today. Uh, so today, I, I want to talk about something, and I don't remember. I might have spoken about this before uh, with y'all, uh, and if so, you're just going to get a rerun, but uh, I don't think I have. And what I want to talk about is, so Edwin Friedman in, in, in Bowen Family Systems Theory, they, they talk about one of the concepts of Bowen Family, family Systems Theory, I, I simply define or, or refer to as regressive society. And so one of, the, one of the concepts is that when anxiety in a society or a culture is really high, that people's level of behavior gets lower and lower. Their emotional maturity decreases because of the anxiety in the society. And so when we talk about regressive society, I'm not talking about Christian, non-Christian. I'm talking about people's ability to manage the anxiety that they're faced with in the world. And Friedman kind of highlights five characteristics of how people behave when society is in regression. I think, I think all of us would agree we're in a period of time and culture and society when anxiety is really high. <laughs> Anybody not agree with that? And, and we're, as a result of that, we're in a period where people's uh, reactivity and their ability to cope and their ability to manage their anxiety and uh, in the midst of all the anxiety in the world gets less and less and less. Here in Houston, Texas, for you not with us, it, it literally, I'm not exaggerating or embellishing, uh, it's almost every day there's road rage and a shooting on our freeways. Somebody's getting, somebody's either shooting at or shooting. Uh, I mean, the, the story last night was, was, and it's been going for two or three days now, is of a, a little nine-year-old girl that was killed. In a, in a road rage incident on the freeway. Well, I believe road rage is, is a, uh, an evidence of regressive society because people's anxiety is built up. They don't know what to do with it. And so violence becomes uh, just one of the ways that they react out of that. And one of the things I, I want to say about that that, that I think is really helpful is if we just, if we just go back 20 years, we're far worse today than we were 20 years ago in, in anxiety and in reactivity. Uh, the pandemic didn't help us any. It just escalated. 
so I'm convinced that we're, we're living in a time of high regression and, and the challenge becomes how will we manage our own emotional maturity in the midst of other people uh, reacting in ways that aren't healthy. So I wanna go through these five characteristics and what I'd like to do is after each one, I'm just gonna give you some characteristics of them. And I'd like to pause after each one and have dialogue about it uh, to see what emerges for you, what you hear, what questions you might have, and you might not have had any. But, but the first uh, characteristic is simply reactivity, that everywhere people are reacting to anxiety. And they're, they're reacting with really intense reactions. So what's fascinating, I, I don't know exactly when Friedman wrote his book, but it's, it's been a, a, a number of years ago. And, and it's like he's describing 2022 for us. But people are, have intense reactions to each other and to events in the world and in society. So uh, what's going on in Canada with the truck drivers, that's a pretty intense reaction. Uh, uh, you know, we can we can think of other things when it this reactivity in the reactivity, people begin to take everything personally. So rather than re, re realizing, OK, hey, hey, this is anxiety in society, they take things personally and and as they take things personally, then they begin to diagnose other people and label other people. Oh, well, I, I know what her problem is. She's just a liberal. Uh, she's a liberal Democrat. Or you know what? He's just a radical Republican. Uh, and, and, and we diagnose and we label because it's easier to put people into those categories. In the midst of high reactivity, we lose our ability to be playful with one another. Everybody's serious all the time. We can't tease, we can't cut up, we don't make light of anything because all of it, it's, it's just too serious. And as a result of all of that, uh, we, we lose our ability to have reasonable discussions about any of the hot topics. And so we just avoid them. We can't go there, there's, there's no dialogue. And, and the way reactivity impacts leaders is that often the leaders lose their imagination and they just get resigned and cynical and start going through the motions. And that's a sign of reactivity. So those are some of the characteristics. Uh, we, we start kind of big and broad. Uh, anybody want to say anything about any of that? I know none of you can see it. I was about to say something, but I was trying to give somebody else. You're you're so right in what you're saying because I mean I've even lost my sense of humor. I mean I used to be really able to joke around with people, family, even my husband. And my husband said that the other day. He goes, "You don't even laugh anymore." And I'm like, "Because everything is so serious. Every time you turn on the news, every time you, you know, and if I'm not hearing something on the news." I'm seeing something on social media or my phone's blowing up being text about another shooting or another, 
you know, situation. And um, I'm on this next door neighbor app thing and somebody went off politically over one little statement that somebody was just trying to make a point about that was truth. And the whole feed, just 300 and something ugly, nasty, violent comments. And I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, yeah. I, <clears throat> I think the challenge for me, Brenda, is and so and so what what do I do to manage myself? What do I do to manage my own reactivity? So one of the things that that I'm intentionally asking myself is what do I do intentionally to maintain playfulness? Uh, you know, and and for me. I don't watch much news anymore, and I'm I, and I'm not on you know I'm on social media, but I but I I don't even stop at uh, any of the any of the reactive things because I don't want it to generate more reactivity in me. Uh, and and trust me, I'm not I'm I'm not wanting to describe myself as perfect because I am nowhere near it. But but I think the answer is I, so I can't I can't change others, but I can change me. And the change in me has the potential to influence others. And I think that's the goal in all of our work is can I change myself? Can I, can I manage my anxiety? Um, yeah. And, and so it's not, uh, and, and I don't think going over these things is an opportunity to blame anybody. It's just to see it and to be aware and say, okay, I get it. Yeah, this is where we are. Anybody else want to say anything about reactivity? Yeah, Dawn. Um, yeah, I just I hear what Brenda says, and I also wanted to add that I think I and I'm not going to speak for others because maybe this is just me. I'm sometimes afraid to add too much personality um, into things because I don't. I'm not intentionally trying to offend anyone, and I don't know if I'm going to say something or do something that would be um, taken in offense. So I don't know whether that's universal or if it's just my problem, but um, it's a tough spot. And I, uh, you know, and I see, you know, somebody in a public eye say something or do something and they're done, you know, and I think, wow, that's just a really impossible standard for all of us. So that's, that's my two cents. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and in, in some of that, Dawn, what I, what I hear is that, so people's reactivity makes us anxious. And so out of our anxiety, we just kind of close in and protect ourselves because we're, we're anxious about everybody's reactivity. Uh, I get it totally. So. Yeah. It, it, this just reminded me of that poem that I studied in school and maybe many the rest of you did too, I don't know, If by Rudyard Kipling. And uh, I, it, I hadn't looked at it in a long, long time, but I just pulled it up and, you know, it's a great poem, but it, you know, it starts with, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, goes from there. But I, I guess it reminds me that what we're talking about is, is a condition uh, that mankind has had a long time. 
but but there are these periods where it escalates, you know, and, right. and becomes more mm -hmm. evident, which I think, you know, I, mm -hmm. I agree we're seeing so much more of that now, mm -hmm. but it's 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 our condition, so it's always a challenge. Correct. And and the challenge is always how will I be in the midst of whatever, whether whether it's you know bigger or small, and that's the challenge. I mean, uh, like the poem says, can I keep my head when everybody else is losing their minds around me? And and that and folk and I mean that's what this is what faith walking does, right? We try to teach people how to manage their anxiety so that they can show up as the best version of themselves in spite of the anxiety swirling around them or maybe even pointed directly at them. So, yeah, no, I'm not. Never mind. I'll, let, I'll do that when the tape is off. I'll tell y'all something when the tape is off. Tammy. Um, yeah, I have I have like four or five bullet points, but I'm only going to address one of them that is maybe um, something to be mindful in myself um, that I see happening in the news and in my neighborhood. And in, and that's that uh, part of our reactivity, I think, gets stirred up when we resort to name calling not because it emotionally ramps us up, but because it's such a um, insidious dehumanizing tactic, mm -hmm. right? Once you call somebody a Republican or a Democrat or a progressive or a liberal or a conservative, they're no longer a human, right? We've been doing that game for hundreds of years. So mm -hmm. People that were enslaved weren't people that were enslaved. We just call them slaves. And any right. atrocity you can think of right now, from sex trafficking on up, every, across the board, you you give it a non-human label, and it's no longer um, somebody that we need to know and love. And that stirs, I find myself guilty of that, but that's just kind of a, an immediate, very practical thing to start catching, uh, to help right. ramp that down. Right. Good, Tammy. It, I, I, so a simple goal, and, and by the way, whatever goal, whatever we lean into, whatever we try to take on is hard work, okay? But a simple goal of, of simply saying, I'm not going to label anybody. I'm not going to call names, not going to label. Um, just that little act alone, I think, would, would help me and help us. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Good. Well, let me move to characteristic number two and welcome in, Jerry. Good to have you. So the second characteristic that Friedman outlines in when, when society uh, becomes uh, regressive is what he defines as herding, H-E-R-D-I-N-G, like cattle, herding. And what happens in herding is in order to feel safe, we start clumping together in groups of people that, that we think, believe, and think like we do. Uh, and, and when we start herding, 
problems get formulated in really rigid black or white, either or, all or nothing categories. There's no gray. There's no middle ground. And, and we see, I think we see that everywhere. And, and the end result of that is polarization. And in polarization, we, we not only label other people, we not only say, well, it's either this way or that way, but, but what we end up doing is we, we demonize the people in, in, an, in the herd that's different than our herd. And we make them evil. And it, it's exactly what Tammy was talking about earlier. We dehumanize them. And when, we, when you dehumanize anybody, it makes it easier to hate rather than to love. Uh, it, so when we dehumanize, then the enemy is to be destroyed rather than to be understood or to, or, or, or to love. And in herding, I, I find this interesting, and, and we can flesh this out if you want to, but when we're herding, we adapt to the least emotionally mature members of the group, not to the more mature members. So whoever the least mature are, that's who we adapt to. And, and when, we, when we herd, feelings become more important than ideas. So making sure everybody feels good and is happy and feels safe becomes the priority rather than, okay, what's I, what idea is going to resolve whatever issue? And in the midst of that, what leaders end up doing is leaders become indecisive. Because they, they're, they're following the shifts of the herd. So does that one stir up anything fresh for anybody? Even as we label Democrat or Republican, it's one or the other. It's either or. You can't be anywhere in between. You, you got, and, and, you know, and what's fascinating, uh, and, and some of you out of our state are going to be probably blown away by this, but, but there are, there are, uh, so most of our, Texas state government is led by conservative Republicans. And many of those conservative Republicans are being opposed from within the, the Republican Party because they don't believe that the, the ones in leadership are conservative enough. So the herd is going further right. <laughs> Or, or at least uh, portions of it are, which, which I just find fascinating to say, oh, well, they're not there. And so it's black or white. It's okay. You're, you're, no, you're not conservative enough. We're going to vote you out and vote this, this more conservative person in. Ken, I have a question. Um, um, it's a little confusing to me what you said about uh, leaders becoming indecisive because that sounds real decisive when you're when everything's black and white. So I'm a little confused by that, and by yeah. and by feelings becoming more important than ideas because what I'm seeing a lot of times is people landing on their ideas and completely running over feelings. So I'm I'm just a little confused by those two pieces of this. Yeah. Uh, let me let me go with the leaders are indecisive. They're they're indecisive because they they 
because the herd shifts every 10 minutes. Okay, uh, so they're indecisive because, because what do I do to keep all the people voting for me happy? Well, they, they, you know, I thought I was saying everything they wanted me to say, and now they're saying something different. And, and so now I'm shifting over here because, I mean, how many of our politicians in, in, in the state say one thing one day, and then three days later, they're recanting it and saying something different because, oh, no, 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 that's not really what I meant. I, I think that's what they're getting at. Uh, I, I think the idea... And so this is just my understanding, and I could be under, uh, misunderstanding it, but um, so I don't think we see it as much in, in politics and political because, because yeah, it's, it's ideas and whatever, but, but I think we're in, in, in the practical relationships of life, we give in to this thing of Oh, it's my responsibility to make sure everybody feels good by what I say. So it's hard to be differentiated. It's hard to take a stand. I mean, it's really kind of what Laura was talking about earlier, that I'm afraid to say anything because I, I'm afraid to offer my opinion. I'm afraid to voice because I, I think I'm going to be attacked and I, and I don't want to trigger somebody and I don't want to set anybody off. I think that's what it's getting at, if that makes sense at all. I think um, Dawn was the one that said that also, but I agreed with it in the chat box. Um, but I think the label thing is a big issue. And I find people, I, I understand like our brains, we want to be able to label people because it makes our thinking more efficient in some ways. I think that's just natural. But with the, poli the political stuff, I know that's a big deal right now. Like as someone, I don't consider myself Democratic or Republican and people can't deal with that. Like if they ask, you know, well, but which one do you more closely align with? I'm like, I can't really say that I'm more closely aligned with you. Well, but if you had to pick one, which would it be? Like, well, I wouldn't pick one because I don't, um, like people don't seem to know um, what to do with that or how to reconcile the idea that you can have, you know, you can agree with things in different uh, that are considered part of different platforms. Um, and also, like, I think you alluded to this some can, but like putting things together, like Republican is the same as conservative, which it isn't necessarily, or that, you know, liberal and democratic. Or, um, yeah, like there's all these issues that we just want to kind of lump together and say, but, but I have to be able to put you in a box right. so that I can decide whether or not I like you without getting to know you because I, I just know which box you're in. Exactly, Laura. Yeah. Along with that, I, concept of hurting tribalism, hurting slash tribalism, is this narrowing of um, thinking, because then our, our social media feeds and the way that we get information aligns with our herd or our tribe. And so our the thinking becomes smaller and smaller and smaller, and, and then the world becomes this threat because we've got this little bitty box that we define as being okay. And, and it's a small box. And anything that opposes, pushes against our small boxes, is the enemy 
And our thinking gets smaller and smaller and smaller, which is very sad. Mm -hmm. So you, you use the word, Jerry, threat. There's a threat. So connect it. So, so there's always a threat whenever there's anxiety. And when we get anxious, there, there are at least two things that happen. Really, there are more things that happen. But when we get anxious, we quit thinking. And we quit listening. And, and so if you just tie the two together, we, we lump, we get into herds because it feels safer in a herd. And, and in the herd, we quit thinking and we quit listening to others and we polarize and we start attacking. And And I just want to acknowledge how hard it is. I mean, we, we, we are like salmon swimming upstream to try to be people who are calm in the midst of others' anxiety, who aren't reacting, who aren't polar. And, and, and oh, by the way, and, you know, given the right moment or the, or the right day, I, I might be hurting, polarizing, reacting just as badly as anybody else. Um, so... So for me, I, I want to keep coming back to this idea that emotional maturity is the ability to manage myself and my anxiety and my reactivity. And that takes tons of work and it takes tons of effort. I think it takes a community like this of support and encouragement of people saying, okay, yeah, let's, let's try, try to be different in the midst of this. Um, I guess for me, the, the biggest threat for me is that I will become just as reactive as everybody else. <laughs> and so, so being clear about what my guiding principles are, being clear about, okay, this is, this is what the best version of me looks like. And I'm not going to wallow in fear. And, and when, I'm, when I'm reactive, I'm going to catch my reactivity. Uh, and, I, and I'm going, going to be different. And, and I hope you, that you heard what I, what I said, because as much as I work on this, I'm still reactive. But can I catch myself in my reactivity? And, and can I show up and be different? And can I listen to people that have differing opinions than I do? Um, now, I don't want to listen if they're berating me or hammering me or yelling at me. Okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to, that's not okay. But if in a reasonable voice, you'll, you'll tell me, okay, this is what I think and why I think it, then I want to be a person that listens. And so, um, yeah, so I, I think that's what I want to say today. And by the way, we're already running out of time. So we're, we're only going to talk about two of the five. We'll talk about these two, okay? I'll give you the other three next week. Um, yeah. I'm done. What else you want to say? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's the key, self-awareness of, of recognizing my own anxiety. 
you know, module three of faith walking, which is right where you are, Saul. Uh, so yeah, I have to be aware that I'm anxious. And one of the ways that I grow in my awareness is to know what it feels like. What does, how does anxiety show up in me physically? And then manage that anxiety, re recognize I'm anxious and have the capacity to not do what I typically do reacting out of my anxiety, but to show up differently based on my best thinking, which for me are positive declarations slash guiding principles. I mean, I mean, all of this is, this is faith walking. This is what we teach in faith walking. And uh, yeah, and we, and we misbehave when, when we aren't thinking and we're simply reacting out of the anxiety that gets stirred up in us by the anxiety of others. I think it's helpful to remember that anxiety is contagious. So we, we catch it from other people. So? Yeah, it, it, it's so easy for me to immediately listen to this and start thinking about all the other people <laughs> that are doing this. And then I catch myself and go, well, am I not? That's, I'm doing the same. I'm labeling. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing all right. those things, you know, right. and, um, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, look at all those reactive, anxious people that can't manage themselves and can't control themselves. Absolutely. You're right. Uh, we just use this language to then do the exact same thing. Uh, and it, and it comes back to what am I doing to manage myself? How do I manage myself in my home? How do I manage myself with my friends and relatives? That's a good, and, that's a good point, Ken, because I'm thinking here about right now, I'm getting a lot of practice right now in managing my anxiety with one of my daughters and a niece that I have, things that are going on in their life. And they know that I'll listen. So they'll call. And I mean, it's just like a big dump of anxiety. It's a little yeah. hard because I love them and I care about them. And sometimes I get very um, angry at other people that are causing them to be in these situations. Um, but on a smaller scale, getting practice with that helps me on on yeah. a larger scale and yeah. i mean i haven't arrived because i still i still get caught in the little anxiety and it just and it does it's it's painful to deal with and um but listening is and i wrote that in bigger listening is the key to so many things but you can't do it when you're anxious um right. in fact i've even shared that tidbit with my daughter and um i'm like it's okay because she starts spinning spinning in anxiety and um yeah yeah, yeah. so it's the smaller instances that i get a lot of practice mm -hmm. and when that anxiety tammy i'm sorry we don't we don't have time <laughs> okay love y'all bye <laughs> Trish, you started. Come on, head. tell us. I'm I'm messing yeah. with you. No, I love it. Trish, um, with, with the daughter calling the mom is such a great example, such a real example that we all um, experience. And I think one of the great things about faith walking um, for me is is learning to recognize when is that appropriate to allow the anxiety dump, 
and when to say, you know, maybe it's, especially if the anxiety dump is about somebody else and now we're triangling. So learning to go, whoa, that's really not what needs to be happening right now, right? Or I go into over-functioning, under-functioning. I mean, the anxiety stirs all these other things that we learn about in faith walking that and are the, the better uh, responses. Yes, and the over-functioning is what I'm naturally prone to. So I've gotten very good about keeping my boundaries <laughs> with that, but it's been, it's always a temptation. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, it'd be so easy for me to fix that. <laughs> but right. that's not going to help her and it doesn't. So right. I have to listen and she has to come to her own conclusions about how to, how to work things out. And more yeah. advanced faith walking is learning the right questions to ask back, coaching yes. them with what you're describing. Yes. Walking rocks. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> so let me, uh, let me give you one uh, little teaching tidbit before we go. So as we manage our anxiety, I want to remind you that we are responsible to other people to love them as well as we can. We are not responsible for them. We're not responsible for their feelings. We're not responsible for their behavior. We're not responsible for what they do. Even when they blame us and say we're the, we're the cause of it, we are not responsible for other adult human beings. They are responsible for themselves. So as we manage our anxiety, as we live our own life, I, I want to manage it in a way that I'm responsible to but not take responsible for, because when I take responsibility for, that means I've violated boundaries and I'm over-functioning.